We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Swapna Gupta, Senior Investment Manager of Qualcomm Ventures. Swapna, welcome to the show. Hi, Samana. Happy to be here. So, Swapna, let's start by uh, some introduction to uh, Qualcomm Ventures, and, and this is Qualcomm Ventures India, by the way. So, the focus of today's conversation is going to be Qualcomm's investments in India. Swapna, let's, uh, let's have you introduce the firm to our audience first. Sure. Um, so, as you're aware, uh, Qualcomm Ventures is a global billion-dollar fund. How is the start of uh, Qualcomm Ventures India? Uh, which is a $150 million dedicated fund for India investing across sectors. We have been in India for the last 10 years. Uh, we have a healthy portfolio of about 25-plus companies. Uh, and we have been doing consumer, we have been doing enterprise, we have been doing hardware. And, yeah, exciting times of achieving the ecosystem. Uh, in terms of investment pieces, I think um, we are very unique in a way that we derive a lot of value out of the mothership, which is Qualcomm Incorporated. Uh, and we believe in what they believe in. Uh, so they are believing in creating world-changing transformation internally for the world to see, whereas we also want to do that externally by aiding the startup ecosystem to actually create world-changing trans technologies and transformation. So yeah, that's our thesis, and that's our vision in India as well. Okay. So um, it's not necessarily... Qualcomm specific strategic investments. It's a much broader investment thesis, yeah. That's true, and I think a lot of lot of startups and entrepreneurs don't understand this. But there's a marked difference between being a corporate VC uh, and being a corporate development team. So when we say we've got a corporate VC, we are as financial investors. Anybody out there? We do not invest to acquire. We invest to make financial returns. Okay. And your sole limited partner still is Qualcomm, right? That's the fun part that we don't need to raise capital. You will need to raise, raise you don't have to raise capital, right? Yeah, okay. So um, let's double click down on stage. Uh, what do you, what stage is of uh, interest to you? Is it C? Well, let me first actually set the stage and ask the question in the context of the world we are seeing. Um, you know, the early stage ecosystem has really segmented at this point. So we have obviously friends and family, and then we have pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A, traditional larger series A. There's like a whole lot of stuff going on in, the, in what used to be just called early stage seed investment. How do you play? What's your sweet spot in this continuum? I think we continue to be what we were 10 years ago. Uh, so we would like to play anywhere between Series A, Series B, and very, very early opportunistic Series C, which means our check sizes are anywhere between 1 to 5 million. And depending on the stage and the stage we want to get in, we play our best. Uh, we try to shy away from the seed game because we would like the thoughts to settle before series A sort of comes out of that. Uh, but we do some seed investments, but majority of our portfolio, if I to say, is loaded towards uh, series A and series B. Okay. And what? Um, how do you define series A? What's your? What is the check size for series A? I think the definitions have been changing over the years. I think now a typical series A that you would look uh, would any would have a tech size of anywhere between 
three to five million dollars, uh, we would typically like to do like a two, one to two dollar investment in that sort, two million dollar investment in that sort of CDJ. Okay. And um, what do you need to see in terms of validation to write a one to three million investment check? Because I mean, one to three million is still a relatively small Series A, and in some some cases, one million is considered a seed still. So obviously, you know, definitions is one thing, but the check size is another. And and really, what matters for our audience is what. Do you want to see before you're willing to write a one million, two million, three million dollar check in terms of validation? That's right. That's a fair question. I think uh, it has two different things to it because we look across the gamut of offerings, which is we look at consumer startups, we look at enterprise startups and hardware startups. Maybe I'll pick up enterprise startups uh, to share sure. the flavor. If it's an enterprise startup, typically you would expect by the time a founder comes to at a series A stage. He has found his product market fit, which is he's not still struggling uh, with the product to figure out who is going to be his first five or ten customers, right? So that yep. is where you'd like right. to see him that he knows his first five to ten customers. He has done that all that phase on himself, which means he doesn't have a large team doing it, but he's built the company to that scale where he's ready to get to the next level, and that's where he needs our capital. And that's comfortable for you. That's very comfortable. Okay. Now, um, are you investing in media as well? Media, yes, um, but it has it, it, it is slightly different twist when we look at media. I think for us, we are looking at technology which is changing. So media is changing as we speak, right? It's no more. Um, media is changing. Yeah, you're talking about virtual reality, you're talking about augmented reality, you are talking about immersive experiences. So that's where we are playing more bet versus traditional content media, uh, is how I would like to put it. Okay, got it. And e-commerce, is that also something you're still playing in? So that's interesting, and I think we should look at very specifically to India market. I think India is a very different geography. Uh, with a 1.1 billion population, a new wave of smartphone uh, because of us, thanks to us and Reliance, people are adopting digital. So there's no way to shy away yeah. from it. But of course, we are not, since we don't make uh, like 20 bets a year, we possibly do five to six bets a year. Even if we make that one e-commerce bet, if you bucket it such, uh, it would be very thoughtful and has to very, very great underlying pieces as to why it works for all conventions and why it makes financial returns. Uh, so in short, mm -hmm. I, I could tell you that there's no fear of missing out in an organization. I mean, there could be different curves and different uh, flavors of the season, but we can shy away if we need to. Mm -hmm. So um, when you look at the Indian market today, um, where do you think are the big opportunities? If e-commerce is kind of off the table, the content side of media is kind of off the table, of course, B2B SaaS, there's a lot going on, and people are going after enterprise software, which is kind of India's sweetest sweet spot, right? Um, and, and that's something that will continue to be in favor, I think, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, you talked about a bit of media technology, virtual reality, and so forth, as long as the technology game. 
But I, I don't think India has any particular strength or unfair advantage when it comes to that kind of technology or any experience as such. That experience lies elsewhere. Um, so where, besides B2B SaaS, where else do you see India's big opportunity? Uh, I'd say multiple areas. Um, so I personally am of the belief that you will see great and large healthcare companies come out of India. And it's simply because mm -hmm. of the reason that unlike US, India is not regulated, right? Which means you have options to experiment, you have options to figure out an a forgiving market to work with you. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's something which has not been experimented so far. And it has its own infrastructure issues. Healthcare needs a lot of data and bandwidth. I think some of those infrastructure issues are being solved now. So I'm sure you're going to see mm -hmm. great healthcare companies come out of India. Uh, I also think that you're seeing a lot of work happen around uh, connected world, uh, which a lot of people talk in terms of Internet of Things. Uh, so we are seeing a lot of connectivity happening on manufacturing setups. Uh, we are seeing a lot of that at the um, industrial level. Uh, we are seeing uh, also in very, very niche areas, uh, you'll be surprised that people are doing it for chemical plants, people are doing it for printing pressing, and these are individual companies going after niche IoT plays where they can easily create $100 million businesses just catering to that one segment because India traditionally has not seen technology transform these sectors which are manufacturing and industrial sectors. Yeah. But those, I would say, are kind of B2B companies, right? They're... Uh... You know, whether it's IoT or analytics, IoT companies typically end up being analytics companies because of all the data that spews out of these sensors. They end up providing not just the IoT functionality, but also the data analytics functionality. So these are, these are going to take the shape and form of B2B SaaS companies eventually, no? I think the third area which I would possibly like to place a bit, and I'm still looking for that. If you know somebody, do tell me. Is I feel in consumer electronics, we have an edge. Uh, we have been mm -hmm. building Apple's and Xiaomi's of the world, but we still have not been able to create a homegrown brand as such. Uh, and there is no reason why we should not. Uh, so, of course, we are going to see some of those happen in, happen in terms of technological products. It's happening in consumer brands, which are non-technology, but I do see that happening in technology as well. Mm, yeah, so technology, consumer products, consumer electronics has not really happened in India. It's all um, been from elsewhere. And, and, well, China is very strong, and China's Chinese products come into India fairly aggressively, right? Right. So the competitive landscape is very tricky. Okay. So um, you said you've invested in about 25 companies. Why don't we talk about a few case studies of what you have invested in and take us through the journey of, uh, you know, when did you see these companies what did they have? What caught your attention to convince you that this is something that you want to invest in? Sure. Um, so I will pick maybe two or three different sectors and uh, give you flavor of consumer right. enterprise growth. Uh, so I'll pick uh, the first investment that I did when I moved to Qualcomm Ventures. And this is a company which is very unique in the sense that it is an enterprise story. However, it's an enterprise story for India alone. Uh, so we all we all hear about stories of enterprise that we need to build for, for for the global markets from India. But this is one company which actually started to believe that it can build for India from India. Uh, so what they essentially did is uh, they picked a very 
specific problem, which is employee transportation problem in India. This has looked the mm -hmm. second largest component of any large corporate PNL after payrolls is employee transport. And it's very unique to India because India is the only country possibly where employers are actually transporting their employees back and forth from home. Uh, so is mm -hmm. there a way to cut down that cost for a corporate? And they build a great software platform which could actually optimize the efficiencies of the cab, could bring down the dead miles, and they could save at least 30% of cost to corporates. And they became a household name at every corporate in the meanwhile. Today they have 100 plus customers. So that, those are the kind of stories that can be built out of India if you choose a very specific India problem. And you don't have to look at tech for doing that. And what did they have when they come, came to you to seek investment? What did they have? I think they had four customers, maybe. Yeah. But I think four what customers. caught their attention, what caught our attention was that those customers were not uh, not Indian companies, but actually large corporate teams to sandbox them. So when they come, came mm -hmm. to us, uh, these uh, founders were ex-Microsoft, and they actually convinced Microsoft to buy their product. And Microsoft is not an easy match to track. And that convinces that if you can do it for a large corporate like Microsoft, which has its policies and procedures, you can easily do it for hundreds of thousand others. Great. All right. Okay, so that's one. Let's do another example. Uh, the other, which I just did about six to eight months back, is a company called Shadow uh, it's a It's a very interesting story because increasingly India is becoming an instant gratification economy. And traditionally, how logistics has been built in India, it has been built on two to three day uh, redemption, right? Uh, now, if yeah. you need everything to be done in next 60 to 90 minutes, you have to build a new sort of infrastructure. And that was non-existent in India. So these guys have built a strong network of delivery personnel. Uh, and they actually survived the aftermath of, you know, um, high valuation and multiple funded companies to actually come out strong. And they chose a very, very... Uh, cost consistent approach saying that I'm going to be the third party which is going to cater to all these instant gratification companies which is Amazon or Swiggy or in grocery maybe big baskets. I will pick all these three or four niches and I will cater to all of them and I'll be their de facto provider because it's a, it's a curve I can see going up and I need to ride on that curve. So, um you are saying that in this case, Amazon and Swiggy and Big Basket and comparable companies are willing to outsource their last mile delivery to this company? And, and there's a reason too, right? If I am a Swiggy, my peak time could be possibly early morning or afternoon or late night, but there is a lull period. Uh, what do I do with my fleet during that time? So what this company essentially, and same goes for Amazon, you take most of the deliveries when you're in office. Uh, so there is a lull period during the rest of the day. Same goes for grocery. Most of the deliveries happen either early morning or late night. So there's a lull yeah. And you don't want to build a network for that. So there's a third party who's actually able to optimize all these times across okay. different categories. So they staff up the the peak periods and the lull period they're outsourcing. Interesting. Yeah, yeah interesting. good business for everyone to work with. Okay. Um, so, uh, switching the question a little bit, if you look at the last, say, year, like the 2018 deal flow, um, how many deals do you look at in a year, and, and what are the trends in that deal flow? Uh, that number is unbelievable. I think 
as a group, uh, as a team, we may be possibly looking at the team. So we have a three-member India team. The team has, I think, we at least end up looking at 200 plus views a year. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the interesting trends, I think there's always flavor of the seasons where food delivery is the norm, you will see a lot of food delivery companies. If yeah. social commerce is the norm, you will see a lot of them. But I think last, if I have to look at last six to nine months trends, I think we have seen a lot of uh, healthcare play. Uh, we've seen a lot of education play uh, because I think some of the infrastructure barriers have been taken care of. We are able to build these mm-hmm. kind of organizations. Uh, we are also seeing a lot of momentum on electric vehicles, surprisingly. So I think uh, um, US has a Tesla, China has a lot of other players, but India still hasn't seen an electric vehicle wave. Okay. I think Swapna's uh, line just Okay, got it. I can hear you. So, I can see you. Yeah. We can see you again. Your uh, video just went off for a moment, but that's okay. So okay. Um, now electric vehicle plays are very, very capital-intensive companies. Do you have stomach for this kind of intensely capital-intensive companies? We do have stomach, and I think so, you're right that they're capital-intensive. So you will realize that most of these vehicle companies are actually looking at existing OEMs to fund them, which is uh, the existing OEMs are this large. We want to cannot move as fast as a startup, yet would not mm-hmm. want to be caught unaware. So you would expect a Mahindra or a Tata or a Hero to actually take exposure in these companies and grow along with them. So I think that mm-hmm. has made capital easier for some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And what do you think of the unicorn mania that we have experienced over the last few years? It started in Silicon Valley, I would say, in the 2013-14 time frame, and it went to India and swept over India. And now, I think India has stabilized a little bit. How do you read this? How do you analyze this? That's good for ecosystem. I think uh, when I say that, it means that uh, the more uh, stories that we hear of large companies being built, uh, more aspirational entrepreneurs come forward to build more. So which means uh, today the kind of crop of entrepreneurs I see willing to take risks versus 10 years is very different. Uh, sure. We actually have aspirational young guys who are willing to give it all to build that next unicorn. So it's good for the ecosystem. Uh, I do feel that the challenge that comes with it is um, that sometimes you are running fast and uh, running too fast, uh, sometimes you don't fix a lot of problems along the way and that can become a major issue when you have grown to a larger size. So I think it's important as you're raising capital for these companies also to be cognizant that a tag is okay, but you need to grow into that tag. You need to be, uh, build a kind of machinery that deserves that sort of tag. I think uh, that is what what we could educate the ecosystem a bit more about, we would go greater in building unicorns. Mm. Interesting. You know, um, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on, on how I read the Indian unicorn mania. Um, you know, India has had traditionally a, a good cost-efficient uh, dynamic, and this unicorn mania has actually disrupted that dynamic. And in my opinion, actually, that dynamic was healthy because I think you build better companies if you bootstrap first and raise money later and have kind of a mind, a good, you know, attention towards 
unit economics and, and stuff like that. So if you invest ahead of figuring out what your unit economics are, what your customer acquisition cost is, how can you profitably uh, build and scale a business, and you just have a lot of play money without figuring things out, that doesn't build very healthy companies. And, and I think, uh, you know, there's a phenomenon, a corollary to the unicorn mania is the dead by overfunding phenomenon, which has happened in, you know, intensely, actually, we've covered quite a few companies that have, that are good examples of this dead by overfunding uh, phenomenon. So, so in a way, I was, I kind of hoped that India would play to its strength of being able to do things frugally, and then once figure, once they've figured out the scaling uh, mathematics, then you know, infuse capital to scale, but. I don't think it has gone quite that way, although it's shifting back a little bit. So to your point that it creates good you know, stories and a lot of attraction uh, to entrepreneurship is very well taken, but it's also creating a lot of misconception. You know, entrepreneurs think that they can raise huge amounts of money without proving out their thesis, uh, you know, without proving out the beginnings of, of a thesis. And, and I don't think that's necessarily a healthy uh, phenomenon. I don't think that's going to create a lot of robust companies. That, that's a fair argument. I think the only counter argument, and we continue to have this debate in the ecosystem, I think for some companies it's a necessary evil uh, because uh, when you're, not, you're in a scenario where you're in a flat world, right? You're not fighting local incumbents. Uh, you're fighting mm -hmm. global giants with cash flow. And if you have to fight that bot battle and you want to create homegrown large companies versus get, get, a, get a foreign incumbent to come and take the market, you would rather fight that battle out. And if you need to fight that battle, you need to have all the ammunition in place. So I take your argument. I think, I think it's not necessary for every segment. But in some segments, it's just necessary evil that you need to fight with all yes. the ammunition. Yes, and I think Flipkart is, Flipkart is a good case in point where I think if they wanted to take on Amazon, they needed the capital and so forth to uh, to. Yeah, to build that uh, kind of muscle, absolutely. So I would say Flipkart, Paytm, they fall in a slightly different category. Um, but there are there are companies that have gone after uh, markets, and I, I don't want to <laughs> name names, but but I think that have questionable yeah. Uh, yeah. pieces. All right. Well, yeah, I think um, it's a bone and bone Yeah. Well, I think what it does is it confuses entrepreneurs. You know, there right now in India there are tens of thousands of entrepreneurs who are starting up companies, and and they they are starting with the belief that entrepreneurship equals financing. Well, as you have articulated, and as you know, investor after investor articulates on these forums for us that they're not going to invest in concepts. You have to get your concept to a you know product market fit, customers, etc., and you. You said you need five to ten customers. Other people need more customers to invest. So the, that period of working through the process of 18, 24, sometimes 36 months of, you know, bootstrap business building is an expectation that needs to be set in the minds of early entrepreneurs. And, and if we go with this entrepreneurship equals financing mindset, they never get that mindset. And, and they're basically bouncing around looking for capital before putting the cart before the horse. It's a big problem. That's true. That's true. And I think a lot of people are doing education around that. I mean, 
we always educate entrepreneurs when they come to us that look maybe you don't even need funding you you can grow with the pace you are growing because it doesn't need funding right so i think it's also our job that i think ecosystem continues to do but you will have anomalies which is okay yeah all right very good um good to get your viewpoint on what uh, co convention